This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode number 72. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts, Michael Blanc. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the show today. Today, I have with me Tyler Sheff, who is the founder of CashflowGuys.com, and his passion is really educating people about real estate, cash flow, and financial freedom. Now, Tyler has got a very interesting story, one of which is that he was able to quit his job in 11 months from deciding to do so, and he chose, of course, multifamily to do it, and that has freed him up to do what he's doing today, which is helping other people with real estate. So again, it's one of those things where financial freedom is the key to opening us up, opening up our minds, and that allows us to think bigger and to maybe even help other people and making a difference. I mean, if you're working 50 plus hours per week providing for your family, it is very difficult for you to live a life of quote, significance or helping other people. Now, it's certainly possible, but your mind is so consumed with your job and then the rest of the time basically sleeping to recover from it. It's very difficult to live that life of significance. And really, that's what the heart of financial freedom is. We want to be able to provide for our families and also spend time with them. And we have trouble reconciling and doing both with a regular job. And that's why our financial freedom comes in in real estate and apartment building. So Tyler is going to share with us his journey and 11 months to basically replacing his income or, or covering his living expenses so he never had to work again. And a really powerful story. And we do talk about a lot of limiting beliefs and objections that we hear about people who, when they hear multifamily, kind of go, oh, that's an advanced strategy. Let me get some experienced single family house flipping first. And then maybe I'll get into that. And oh, by the way, give me a few years to save up money so that I can you know, buy my first deal. And these are all limiting beliefs, false beliefs, misdirected, misguided things about multifamily that just simply aren't true. And we have dozens of examples that prove that this is actually otherwise. So this is one of those mind-shifting episodes. It's all about limiting beliefs and things that hold you back from achieving financial freedom. So with that, let's get right into the interview with Tyler Sheff. Hey, Tyler, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Why don't you start just by introducing yourself? Tell us a little about yourself and your business. Well, my name is Tyler Sheff, and I'm the host of the Cashflow Guys podcast. Like you, I'm a fellow podcaster, and I got into podcasting basically because I realized that what we do it really isn't rocket science, and I wanted to kind of help demystify the real estate investing space, more particularly pertaining to multifamily real estate. So I started the podcast to kind of grow my grow my network and go from there. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Now, obviously, you're a real estate investor. You've done a bunch of things. Go back in time a little bit and tell us why you got started investing in real estate. You know, initially for me, it was I thought I could get rich quick. I got to be honest with you. I learned that lesson. I learned I was a, I was a house flipper way many years ago, going only back to year 2000. I was the your classic house flipper before they had home and garden television. So I would go out and uh, fix and flip houses. And although we made some money, I got a huge tax bill to go with it. I was fortunate to sell off my portfolio of flips right before the market crash. That was not on purpose, by the way. That was totally out of greed. So, but I thing is though, I wound up with a huge tax bill because I didn't necessarily record all the transactions that I sold. And apparently my charm is not enough for the IRS. Oh. So, you know, who knew? Can you believe that? It's oh, unbelievable. So yeah, so I got a big tax bill. That put me out of the game for a while. I had to figure out a way to compensate for that tax bill. So I went to work for the government. <laughs> I laugh when I say that, but I'm here to help. I went to work for the, for the federal government as a merchant mariner. 
And that was great. Climbed the ranks real quick, went from a five-figure salary to a six-figure salary really, really quick, which created a whole other host of problems, again, involving taxation. So, Michael, for this time, it was like, so this tax thing keeps coming back to haunt you. So we've realized that Tyler's charm doesn't help with my tax bills or that we got to cross that off the list. So the next thing was, well, how can I legally and ethically avoid taxation? The answer was obvious, buy real estate, but this time keep it. And that's how it all started again. I call it on the second act, so to speak. What did you do in the second act? So you flipped houses in the first act, but what did you do in the second act? The second act was we bought them and we just hung on to them. But this time, a little differently, we weren't focused on appreciation so much. We were just focused on the monthly income, the cash flow, so to speak. So we just stayed laser focused on let's buy little multifamily buildings. We improve them. We leverage our money back out of them and let them pay for themselves. And then we live off of the cash flow. And that's what we started doing a few years back. And we've been quite successful at it. Now, when you say we, who's we? My wife and I. Oh, okay. All right. Now, why did you even start real estate in the first place? I mean, it sounded like you enjoyed your job or maybe you didn't. Why did you go back into real estate? What was behind that? Well, it was, I needed a way to get out of the taxes. Really. I was, I loved what I did. Working for the government was awesome. I mean, I was on a ship. I traveled around the world. I was in Hawaii. I was all over the place, uh, South Pacific. It was just dream job, but I didn't like being away from home for long periods of time. I've got two daughters and I missed a couple of years of their life and that that's no fun. Besides that, I liked making good money, but I didn't like paying big taxes. And I was paying my goal. My tax bill was equal to what some of my friends make a year. And I thought, well, there's a problem. You know, either I need to get new friends or I need to get a better accountant, one or the other. Right. So at one point you sat down with your wife and said, hey, we got to do something here. What was the driving factor? I know no one likes to pay taxes. Was it more because you were traveling a lot or what was that conversation like with your wife that back then? It was, you know, we started looking down the road of the future. We got into some estate planning and things like that and started trying to figure out what's next. I mean, I'm at the time I was in my early forties and I'm thinking I can't do this for the next 30 years. That's my body won't take it being out in the big seas and all this. There's no way I can physically take this. So I can work the job for 20, 30 years, retire with a government pension, but I'm going to be an old man when that happens. And that didn't make sense to me. It's like, you know, and that said, I don't believe in the mindset that we in Americans have fallen prey to. It's like, let's do this. Let's work ourselves to death for 30 years and then retire on less money than what we made when we were working. That didn't make sense to me. So most people don't face that until they're later in life, but you were already starting to think about that. And you're like, wait a minute, let me let me do the math on this. And I don't like where this is going. Exactly. So you went back and said, hey, real estate was pretty good, except I'm going to do something a little different. Like we're going to buy and hold not only for the tax benefits, but also for the cash flow. And exactly. so did you set about doing this to try to eventually quit your job or what was the financial goal behind that? I did. You know, we were at a kind of at a crossroads. It's like it was very difficult for me to build my network and start getting involved in real estate while I'm out in the middle of the ocean, although I did, because you know, your tax dollars go to pay for satellite phones, which <laughs> were at my disposal. But good to be management. I wanted a better quality of life. I needed more time on my hands. So it we had to make a decision. Either I continued working for the government and my wife started the investing piece, or I quit my job and dive right into real estate, which I can tell you, people thought I had lost my mind when I walked away from that big, cushy, you know, six-figure salary. But for me, I was in the process of mitigating my taxes. I discovered that a lot of the reason I was paying high taxes because I had huge overtime. And I've learned that I could take that overtime as comp time. So that basically gave me paid time off. So what I did is I took six months, paid time off, and decided that if I can see, if we can clearly see that I can make a go at this and retire in real estate in six months, then, and, and people thinking, well, that's a lofty goal, but it was, I'll put a hundred percent effort in 
I'm already used to being out to sea 24 hours a day. So what's the difference? If I can do this in six months and make it even vi- remotely viable, then I'll pull up a trigger and quit my job. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and so uh, you started doing buy and hold single family houses at first. Is that what you started to do? Well, many, many years ago, I was fixing and flipping, and then I didn't get into the buy and hold. I did get into the buy and hold in the late 90s, and that was basically because I was still a rehabber mindset. It's just that I was a greedy rehabber, and I realized that property values are going up 25% per year in my market. So I was only renting them because I knew that if I rented them, not only could they cover all the expenses, but next year they'd be worth 25% more. (laughs) So it's like, well, this is the best of both worlds. So I became like an, I would call it an accidental landlord. The plan was only to maximize my returns on my sales. So that was the first stage one of the landlord piece. Multifamily came on the second act to this time around in 2014, when I got back into the game, multifamily after doing my research, I realized that I could scale my business a lot faster and I was working on a time limit. I needed to accomplish a certain amount of cash flow in a shorter period of time. And I couldn't do that with single family houses. It just wasn't possible. That's where the uh, multifamily space started to make a lot of sense. So in act two, you said, look, I want to quit my job in six months or at least I'm going to try. And you decided to do multifamily because you felt you can get there faster. Mm-hmm. And so what did you do? I mean, tell us what that looked like. Did you do a deal or what happened after you decided to do that? Actually, that's where my best deal came in, that first deal. So I wasn't quite sure on day one that I want to do multifamily, but my wife and I had been under contract on a duplex, beautiful waterfront place, not really ideal investment stock, but be honest with you, it was her dream house. She wanted to live on the ocean. Great. That deal fell apart. Now I'm pre-approved for a VA mortgage. What am I going to do? We almost went out and bought a three-bedroom, two-bath house, but the market started getting hot and we lost that opportunity that somebody outbid us. Well, fast forward to we're driving home from that property, hat in hand, and we drive by this four-unit building. We stopped because they had a full rent sign. It's in our town. Talk to the owner. We wound up striking a deal and we bought the place. Mm. We had money set aside, but we really, we had started learning about how to invest in real estate without using your own money and how to raise capital and things like that. That was intriguing. So we decided we're going to go ahead and try it on this first deal. And we were successful. Not only did we buy this first unit, it was fourplex. We didn't not only use our own money, we actually got paid to buy it which is an interesting story in itself. That's interesting. So you actually used a VA loan product for that to buy that? We did. And that's great. You get you know zero down, so to speak, but then there's closing costs and that racked up to at the time, like nine grand on $200,000 right. loan amount. So I was able to leverage some real estate commissions, the title company, the lender. I got everybody to, to participate and it worked out to where we walked out of closing with a check for 1700. I uh, love that. So this oh, was yeah. a pure rental property. You, you Did you guys move into that thing? We did. We were going to live in one unit. So we moved into one of the units doing the house hacking thing like you hear in bigger pockets. We moved into one unit, rented the other three. We had to renovate them because it was, well, pumpkin orange with brown trim. So that had to change <laughs> exponentially. Rehabbed it right away, got the units rented up. Huge value add play on a small scale, but I mean, still the numbers look really good mm. and it just kept getting better from there. So what did you do next after that? You had this fourplex, you moved in, you rented it out. I presume it was cash flowing. To it some was. degree. And you're like, this was pretty good. Uh, let's do it again. What did you do then? Well, we bought the place. We took the rents from, it was half vacant and in 15 states of repair, wound up renovating the entire place, took the cash flow from 600 a month to 900 a month for about a year. And then we discovered vacation rental. So then we decided to convert one of the units to vacation rental because one of the tenants was a uh, out-of-state tenant. He lived up in Connecticut for part of the year. So we charged him rent while he was here, but the rest of the year, it's just sat vacant. Hmm. Right after rehab, we were cash flowing, including living there for free, mind you. We were profiting, I believe it was $1,200 a month 
mm. and getting a free place to live. Wow. After the vacation rental element, right out of the gate, we were in the height of the season. We took our cash flow, our net cash flow up to $5,000 a month, one four unit building. It was mind blowing. That is mind blowing. <laughs> so <laughs> you're a bit into your six month runway here. What, what happened next? So did you do another deal? Did you stop? Well, it came down to, you know, the next thing is now I need to do another deal. I've used up my VA benefits. What next? I had to learn how to raise capital. So I mm -hmm. spent a lot of time researching that. I went to the real estate guys course, their uh, seminar, Secret Successful Syndication, and did a lot of reading, read Sam Freshman's book, stuff like that. Started learning about raising capital. And that's where I got my first round of investors. I, I bought some smaller buildings, like some 10 plexes, 12 plexes, that kind of stuff up in Memphis, Tennessee. Spent a lot of time building my team first. That's what I did right. What I did wrong is I picked a few bad ones <laughs> starting out. I cut my teeth on those smaller buildings. Mm. I am a licensed agent, so I, you know, I do have some background as far as residential real estate, but not so much in the multifamily space. So I was more of a trial by fire kind of guy. Yeah. And boy, did I get an education up in Tennessee, let me tell you. Huh. What do you mean? Well, up there, it's a community that it's known for cash flow, but not so much for appreciation. So yeah. in other words, you're not going to get organic appreciation in Memphis. Can be a great market for cash flow, but I bought in the CD type market. And what I've learned since then is that I need to focus on tenants that are more like me because I understand better how to serve them. And I was having difficulty understanding what the true needs of the tenant were. So when I was doing rehab, I was over improving in some cases. And I wasn't seeing the ROI initially. Now that I'm through that process, we've done more deals. We've learned that we need to do a better job of understanding exactly who our tenants are, how we're going to serve them best, because it's not necessarily what we think. It's more like what they know. Right. And that was a huge learning curve for us. So you're now, I don't know how far, how many months you're in from, you're taking your leave from your ship, but after you did the 10 or 12 unit, what happened? Did you go back to work or where were you? We did the first deal and then we immediately did the next two deals. So we wound up with 26 units in 11 months. Mm. So we were jamming. I was able to raise the capital through some IRA lenders, met some people through networking, and I was able to raise the capital, pull the trigger on the deal. So after that, the deal sourcing became the challenge. It wasn't so much finding the money, it was finding the opportunities that made sense. One of the things that I've been very successful at is staying very focused on only buying deals that make sense. And the market is what it has been. And, and we've, although we spent a lot of time working on deal sourcing as well as raising capital, we've been more successful in the capital raising than we have on the deal sourcing. To be perfectly honest with you. That's a common problem right now. So that said, the, after the 26 units, so you had 26 units in 11 months. So were you able to quit your job? Did you go back or what, what happened at that point? I was, I had to make a decision. And for me, it was tough. I mean, for my wife, it was easy, but for me, it was tough. She wanted me to stay home. I was nervous because trying to get these places on and performing and going, we decided I, I just grin and bear it, you know, so to speak and pulled the trigger, quit the job, wow. walked away, walked away from the six figure job. No. Yeah. You had largely covered your bare minimum living expenses Correct. at that point. Now you weren't like flying high. You had not replaced your income, but you were able to cover your, your most important living expenses at that point. Correct. For us, we kind of did a little bit of the Dave Ramsey method where we eliminated our bad debt. We didn't have any credit card debt or anything like that out there. And so we didn't really have any living expenses. Now we have the fourplex. We've eliminated our rent expense. We've eliminated all of our household expenses, essentially because they've been swallowed up by the cash flow mm. on the fourplex. So mm. for us, if I don't know if you ever played the cash flow 101 game, but we started as a janitor, so to speak, even though we had good income, my wife makes great income. We had no expenses. Mm. So we didn't have very far to go to get out of the rat race, essentially, because of that. So just let me get this straight. It took you 11 months from the time you decided 
that you would basically quit your job, 11 months to quit your job. Yep, 11 months. That is unbelievable. And you did it with multifamily, of course. That's what we're here for, right? Multifamily. So, Well, honestly, I couldn't have done it without it. If a single family, I'd still be probably working for the government. I'll be perfectly honest with you. That's an amazing story, Tyler. Yeah, it's true. That's, that's really amazing. And I want to get to all the stuff you've done here, obviously moving forward, what you've done since then. I don't want to leave this phase quite yet because a lot of people are where you were when you've started that, right? They're in a, in a job maybe they don't like or they don't like the prospect of the job. And then something happens in a moment of time where they said, enough is enough. I want to change my life in this way. And they decide to get started with multifamily. And my observation has been that as soon as someone decides, the only logical thing that follows from that is action, right? I find that when people don't take action and you go back to and explore why that is, they actually haven't truly decided, right? Uh, that's that's what I've what I've found. And the other thing I've found is that when a person does that first deal, is always the hardest, takes the longest, but the second and third one follow in rapid, almost automatic succession. And they normally cover the living expenses with that third deal. And it normally takes two to three years, is my observation. And, and you've done it even in faster than that. Right. And it's not, you only had, well, how many, 26 units to get it done. So it's not like you need 150,000 units to get it done either. Amazing, right? So think back on that. In the beginning, was there anything that was holding you back from getting started? So you're thinking, you know, you're at your job, you have this conversation with your wife. Hey, you know what? We can't do this for the next 10, 15 years. Was there anything that was holding you back from getting started? <laughs> Me, for starters. Analysis paralysis. I was, I'll be honest with you. The first deal we did was so good. It screwed me up for future deals. I was comparing every other deal to that deal. And that was a big thing that was holding me back. Now, obviously that's my first deal is already done, but to answer your question, that very first deal, I was so terrified that I was going to make a mistake. I let it cripple me. I was mm. so terrified that I would lose money. I wasn't taking enough action. And then I finally decided, it's like, wait a minute, how much money am I really putting into this in the first place? I mean, the alternative is I could go say to college and spend $50,000 to find out I hate what I took a degree in and wind up doing something completely different. So that's not going to happen. I'm too old for that. So I really can't lose money. I really, at the end of the day, don't have much to lose but my time. And although time is valuable, I, I decided that it's, it's one of those things I didn't want to look back on it and say, gee, I wish I would have. Hmm. So you kind of overcame the fear by what you could really lose. And you said, look, I don't want to have any regrets. And I bet you your wife had something to do with it also. She did. My wife has a debilitating disease called MS, muscular sclerosis. And for her, you know, she doesn't have the ability to, to live the same life that everybody else does. She's constantly stricken with pain. Mm. Her, her twin sister was in a, got put in a wheelchair early on. You know, these are some challenges. And we wanted to be able to get ourselves in a position sooner than later to be able to enjoy, enjoy life now. Because, you know, we were taught, let's wait till we're 65 and then we'll go enjoy life. Well, here's the news. You're 65. <laughs> You're not 30 or 40 anymore, where the ability to enjoy life, I believe, is diminished as you grow older. So we wanted to get that out of the way up front, because who knows? I mean, God forbid, we could all get hit by a car tomorrow. So we might as well enjoy it while we can. All right. You know, when I talk about, you know, getting started with apartment buildings, what I hear from a lot is, oh, you know, that's great, Michael, but it's really an advanced strategy. And, you know, I, I really feel like I need to get several years of single family house investing under my belt. Frankly, I had some house flipping experience. You had some house flipping uh, experience. But is that really necessary or is that simply, in your mind, a limiting belief? I think it's a limiting belief. And I will go so far as to say that my house flipping time experience, whatever you want to call it, slowed me down. 
had I not gone through that, I probably would have accomplished a lot more by now. See, it gives you that false sense of security. When you flipped a few houses, now you're become more and more conservative and you start thinking worst case scenario, which is healthy to some degree, but it can also be crippling. So for me, I think having that single family experience didn't really offer me as much as I thought it would. You know, I shared exact same experience. I flipped probably three dozen houses and I was amazed at how little credit I got that once I talked to multifamily brokers, sellers, and other professionals. They're like, yeah, it's interesting, Michael, but how many you know apartment buildings have you done? And I'm like, none. But right. look at all the houses I flipped. Right. So to me, it was the same thing. I thought, well, I would be getting experience, but really what it was, it was a giant distraction, right? It actually, and, and once I sat down and really thought about it, I would have needed like 50 single family houses to you know replace my income. I'm like, holy cow, how long is that going to take me? I, I never even thought about if the strategy I was pursuing was going to get me to my goal. Exactly. And there is that club, so to speak. It's like you're almost better off with no experience coming off the street than you are with some house flipping experience because I've actually investigated that a little bit because I've heard people talk about that and you and I share that experience as do a lot of other people. And it's like, what does that mean? What? How much experience do I need to be an apartment guy? Is there a course you take or is there a... You have done so many deals now, you're certified as an apartment buyer. What's that look like? Nobody can really give you an answer. But one answer I did get, which I found interesting, is I don't believe this to be the case, but I just found it humorous. This gentleman told me, he's a well-heeled individual. He's got thousands and thousands of doors. He's also a broker. He says, if you were dumb enough to continue to flip houses after doing the first one, that makes most people challenge your intelligence in the first place. And it's like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> oh, I'll go harsh. climb under the couch, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, interesting. Another thing I hear a lot of times, Tyler, which is, is that we talk about the experience thing. I don't, I don't really have the kind of money I need to do a multifamily deal, and that kind of stops them dead in their tracks. Now, is that also a limiting belief, or is that a real, you know, is that a real showstopper? That's a massive limiting belief. I, mm. I'll be honest with you, and I know this sounds like a guru pitch, but I've never used my own money for any of my deals. Mm. What I have done is leveraged the experience of my team. How I got started in Memphis was I found a really good property management company. And I brought them in with me on a deal and I leveraged their experience. So I didn't need as much experience in front of my investors as I would have normally needed because I had a management company that had been around for three, four decades. Right. So it's like, so, it's like look, I can only screw this up so much. And that's from the time it hits the bank to the time it goes to you. I can't screw anything up in between that because I got these guys. Right, Tyler, you don't have any experience in multifamily. Why should I sell you this deal? Because I have the team in place to manage it. You're right. I have absolutely no experience, but yeah. I have one of the best property management teams in the state of Tennessee. Right. I've got the best legal team and the and accounting team, and we do. Then we have systems yep. and processes to manage all this. It sounds cliche, but it, it's true. It's factual. I don't need to be the smartest guy in the room. I'm just the guy that pulls everybody together. I'm the ringleader. I'm the one that leads the team. That's my job, so, and that is my expertise. And I've been doing that for th all my life. So. I'm perfectly qualified for apartments. At one point, you saw the, the need to raise money. How did you go about doing that? Tell us a little bit about that experience because it is one of those things, you know, people say, okay, that's great, Tyler. It's a limiting belief, but how do I overcome it? I believe educate to dominate is something one of my mentors taught me early on is I decided there's a couple of different ways you can go about it. You can, you know, you can do a private placement memorandum. You can, you can advertise to accredited investors under certain rules. You can do all these different things. All those things cost a ton of money, which at the time I did not have liquid. I need to find a little more creative way to do it. So I used relationship marketing, started my podcast. I started a cash flow 101 workshop in my local community where I would, as I learned things, I would bring people together and started out with just a couple people at a coffee table. And I taught them what I was learning. It's like, Hey, here's what I learned last week and a different way we can structure a deal. 
So I took the experience I did have and I shared it with other people in my community. When I did that, they positioned me as an expert. So next thing you know, they're telling their friends, this guy, Tyler, really knows what he's talking about with real estate. And over time, people talk and they would come to me and say, geez, you know, I've got money in my retirement account. But I, my uncle has money in their retirement account. They need help getting it done. Can you help them with that? And I would do that. And, and I would find people that were more experienced than me, like somebody like yourself, for example. And I would say, you know, see if I could match A and B together, maybe ride your coattails for the first deal or two and say, hey, I've got this guy. And if I can help bring this capital, will you teach me? I don't necessarily need a piece of the deal, but I can bring this capital person. Maybe you can help me through this process. And I found people in the apartment space far more willing to help than I ever did in the single family house space. That's for sure. Hmm. Yeah. So true. So true. Any other limiting beliefs that you think hold people back from doing something seemingly as complex as, you know, as pursuing financial freedom with apartments, anything else? I mean, you talked about, you talked about analysis paralysis, you talked about the fear we talked about the lack of experience and the lack of their own capital. Anything else that you see people are being held back? The biggest limiting belief is the complexity. They believe that, okay, this building has a second floor. It suddenly becomes more complex. Totally not true. It's a falsehood. Here's how it differs from a single family house. If you've got a hundred unit building, you take all the numbers for a single family house and you multiply them by a hundred, except the roof, because you've only got one roof bill. And that's one of the reasons I love multifamily. So at the end of the day, I believe, it's my opinion, that apartments are easier to work with. They're not simple necessarily. They take a certain degree of expertise, but I think that the apartment model depends on several moving parts. So if you're the type of person that has the ability to manage other people effectively, you can absolutely get into apartments, no doubt. Yeah, yeah no, no question. So in the context of your life, right, how important was that first deal to you? Critical. Without it, I mean, it, it gave me the confidence. And actually, the second deal was even better. The first deal gave me that, aha, I know I can do this. But then real quickly, you get to the now what? Well, that was great. And the buzz wears off and you're like, okay, now what do I do next? The second and third deal are the ones that really started to give me the confidence because those are the ones that, that came with problems. Those are the ones that I really made a lot of mistakes on, uh, huge mistakes. And I learned so much from those mistakes. It gave me even more confidence. Now I know that I've gone through that process and guess what? I survived it. The fact that I survived it and I came out unscathed and everybody's in good shape and everybody's getting paid. The investors are in good shape. That made me stronger. Now I'm unstoppable. Yeah, right, exactly. You pick up that momentum. You have that, that track record. You've got a pipeline of, of deals for the brokers you built, built up. You have investors that, that are maybe talking. And so now you have investors you didn't have before. So it makes that second and third deal so much faster, so much easier than that first one. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, so let's talk about a little bit after that time, you know, you, you know, quitting your job, really. What difference did that make in your life? How was your life different from that point than maybe before? For me, it was. When I was self-employed in the past and when I got into real estate early on, I was always wondering where my next payday was coming from. And being self-employed, that's how I interpreted that. It's like, how am I going to eat next week? Being a realtor or being a, a rehabber or anything like that. I had a trucking business for many years. I was always concerned about where's my next check coming from. I always had to go out and hunt for my food. But as a buy and hold investor, I didn't have to hunt anymore because every month people mail me money. Whether I do something or not, it's really that simple. It's laughable. It's like, really, all these years I've been overlooking this little tidbit? Pretty powerful statement if you think about it. I call it mailbox money. It is mailbox money. So how does mailbox money change your life? Like, what did you do afterwards? 
Well, here's the thing. All I have to do is not screw up what I already have. And I don't have to do anything else if I don't want to, which is a beautiful feeling. So moving forward, I'm very diligent on sticking to my numbers. I now find it easy to attract capital because I have a very regimented system of how I do things. And it just comes down to continuing to put the word out and source more opportunity. And I'm not in a big rush to build this huge portfolio. I'm not trying to be Grant Cardone. I'm simply trying to sweeten my already enjoyable retirement. <laughs> so what are you doing in your retirement? How are you spending your time, Tyler? Well, educating people. I get a kick out of that. And we put a lot of free and very low cost materials out there. I, I really, truly enjoy podcasting. This, that's, this is like my favorite thing in the world. So I spend a lot of time working on my podcast, working on my YouTube channel and getting more information out there, trying to demystify that, which everybody seems to think is really, really difficult and should cost a hundred grand to learn how to do. So we spent a lot of time putting content together and I love to fish and kayak. Those are my two favorite things. Outstanding. That's awesome. It's, it's fantastic. And these are things that you enjoy to do. And we don't always enjoy our W2 job. We kind of do it. We try to, we try to do the best we can, but at the end of the day, I found it's difficult to reconcile the amount of time spent to provide for our family and the, the high cost of not having that time to spend our family, right? So that's the biggest conflict. I want to provide for my family, but I also, also want to spend time with them and I can't do both. That's the conflict at the heart of what we call financial freedom is what we found. And you've you've solved this, right? And I've solved it as well. And now this allows us, to, it frees us up, it frees up our mind to do other things and maybe even help other people. Well, yeah, now you can sit back and breathe a little bit. You don't have to, you know, it's not that I want to sleep in every day because I get up earlier now than I did when I had a job. Right. But the difference is I really like getting up. Nobody's telling me to do it. I just like to have breakfast by a certain time and I like to watch the sunrise and I just have a good time. I mean, I still work a lot of hours, but it's because I want to now because I have to. So what's your idea of perfect happiness? Like describe your perfect day. Perfect day would probably be out on the kayak as the sun comes up. I live on the Gulf of Mexico right out in here in Tarpon Springs, Florida. So I'm right by the beach and I can be out ocean, totally flat, do a little bit of fishing in the morning, have lunch, spend my afternoon putting together some instructional videos or maybe a podcast or something like that, uh, knowing that I can give some value and knowing when I turn on the microphone that I'm going to be able to help somebody else get where I am and see the same view that I'm seeing. And that's cool. That's a big rush. Yeah, it's awesome. That's fantastic. What's your kind of your, your closing advice to someone who wants financial freedom just like you did. People spend a lot of time fearing what they're going to lose. And I challenge you to get out a legal pad, a sheet of paper, and write down what that really is. Tell me one tangible thing that you can really lose if you get started. The only thing you can really lose is time. And that just comes down to taking the time to educate yourself. I mean, you have a podcast on this subject. I have a podcast on this subject. The education, you can't say you don't have the money. You can't say you don't have the experience because you can get the experience. And you can make the time. So you just simply educate yourself and take some action because nobody's going to do it for you. So when your time is up, Tyler, how do you want to be remembered? That I was a change maker, that I was the guy that made difficult stuff simple. Yeah, it's awesome. I appreciate it, Tyler, sharing your story. It's, so, it's going to inspire thousands of people to, to take action like you have and inspiring me as well. So I really uh, appreciate you sharing your experience with us. Oh, no problem. I enjoyed the experience. Thanks yeah, for man. having me. Hey, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Always the best way to reach me is through my website, cashflowguys.com. I am a dirty realtor, so I don't answer the phone very often. I do check voicemails, but uh, cashflowguys.com is the best way to reach me. My YouTube channel's on there, the whole nine yards. Awesome, man. Thanks again. All righty. 
Now, I hope that you are going to take a serious look at multifamily investing and take action for yourself. It is literally the number one way to achieve financial freedom with real estate. And the one thing to focus on is your first deal. That's what all my resources, all my passion is helping do that first deal because I know that if I can help you do your first deal, then you will be financially free in two to three years. So as a first next step, download my free ebook called The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building Deal. It's available at themichaelblanc.com forward slash ebook. That's the first thing you should do. Second of all, I have my first live event coming up in October you're basically going to do your first deal. It's going to be an experiential workshop where I'm going to take you from finding a deal all the way through putting under contract, negotiating that, due diligence, and some twists and turns in dealing with that. You're going to be working in small groups. It's going to take all weekend long, and it will have been as if you've done your first deal in a weekend. You can find more information about that at themichaelblanc.com forward slash summit or themichaelblanc.com forward slash events where we list all of our events, themichaelblanc.com forward slash events. And this will most likely be an annual event. So even if you listen to this after October, there's probably going to be another event after that. So check that out. If you want to do your first deal, that will give you all the training you will need with the online course beforehand and then the experience workshop after that. It's a fantastic way to kind of get started. So I encourage you to check that out, themichaelblanc.com forward slash events. Anyway, guys, I hope you feel inspired enough to take that first step, whatever that may be, and to pursue financial freedom with apartment building investing. Anyway, guys, appreciate it. I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.